0: Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Rachel Nadel. Hey, Rachel, how's it going?
1: Hey, Chris, it's going good. I'm feeling excited to, to finally see you and talk to you again.
0: I know, it feels like it's been a while. So uh, how's your hand? What's been...
1: oh, the hand, the hand, I'm sh- you guys can't see this, but I'm showing Chris. So if you guys haven't heard the last episode, I was talking about my hand injury. I was opening my window, and I somehow, with my brute strength, Pushed my hand through a glass window. Um, and it was really bad. It was a really bad cut. It's been about a month now, and I'm finally able to not, I don't have to wear band aids anymore. Um, it still hurts, though. It's still like I have a hard time holding things and squeezing my hand. Um, so it's just crazy. Two things. One, that like my body can heal, right? Like I had a hole in my hand and now I don't. Um, but also, it's just like things take time, you know? It just like it takes time to to heal and for your body to do its thing. So. I've been I've been trying to be patient.
0: Yeah, it's looking a lot better. It's healed up.
1: Yeah. How about you, Chris? What's new with you?
0: Well, we're coming off a 4th of July weekend. And uh, I think one thing that we wanted to talk about is that every year on the 4th of July or just before the 4th of July, I guess for the last five or six years, maybe it could be as long as 10, Rachel. I can't even remember how long I've been doing it. I sort of go on my private Facebook page and I lecture my family and friends about not firing off fireworks it's sort of a, a thing that I just uh, can't stand I don't know is that the way to put it um, I just uh, in my first year 20 years ago uh, 21 years ago now geez how long even before that because I was I had wasn't even working anyway I, yeah I worked with a client who had an injury from a fireworks injury and I was just thinking to myself this is 100% preventable you don't have to have this injury to see this little firecracker blow up like it's 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 what are we doing here um and there's just so and I get nervous every time my kids are not with me that they're going to be with some relative that's going to blow up a firework and and then even if it doesn't hurt you it might hurt somebody you love and I just so I rant about it every year and and you saw my rant this year <laughs>
1: I saw Chris and I was like, man, I just love Chris Bouguet and sure. everything he thinks I agree with because I was like, yes, I couldn't agree more. I can't stand these like personal fireworks because it's, it's not even that cool. That's my issue with it. Like it'd be one thing if you're like risking, you know, the safety of yourself and the safety of others. If it was like the coolest thing ever, it's not even cool. Like it's way cooler to go to a park or, you know, some type of festival or the beach or wherever and watch, you know, professionals lighting off fireworks. So I completely agree, Chris.
0: You know, I, I've worked with a lot of kids and adults who have had accidents of some sort and the accidents are usually, it couldn't be avoided. You know, it's a car accident or a sports injury. I mean, I guess that could be avoided by not sports, but I think it's like, there's a, some, some sort of, uh, positive that comes out of that, right? I mean, working together, teamwork, this camaraderie—it's uh, fun to watch sports. I—I uh, st- I don't get it with the fireworks. I don't—I don't understand what what is the big deal about watching something explode? I can go on Netflix or Hulu or YouTube and watch things explode all day long. I don't need to make them explode in my own backyard and put myself and the people I care about at risk. It just doesn't—it doesn't, it doesn't com- compute with me.
1: No, and honestly, after I had my hand injury, there was um, a BI, a behaviorist, that was um, during my session. He came in, and he we oftentimes overlap, and he saw like my bandage on my hand, and of course, he inquired like what happened. And after I told him the whole story, he's like, "I'm really sensitive to hand injuries," and he shows me his hand, and he had half of his hand missing, and it was from a firework. And I was like, oh my gosh, you, you only solidified how much I hate fireworks when people are trying to put them off personally. So anyway, it's just like, it's it can be completely prevented.
0: Yes, I'll throw one other, you know, negative about fireworks. And that is, I think there's a lot of people, maybe a lot of listeners, listeners, let us know on the Facebook group if this is you. Uh, a lot of listeners have pets. And I know it throws them for a loop too. So, you know, your neighborhood is blowing off fireworks and the dogs are running around like we're under attack, you know. Um, so I just don't see the upside of it at, at all. Agreed.
1: So Chris, did you go away for 4th of July?
0: I did. I went to Chicago. Uh, I actually got to have dinner with Mo Booty, go back a couple episodes and listen to Mo Booty talk about IEPs. So uh, her and I got together and I uh, had dinner and talked more about IEPs. And, uh, but it wasn't really a work trip. And besides to, to see Mo, uh, one of my closest friends uh, was getting married. And so my wife was with me on the trip and we went to a wedding. But what about you? What did you do?
1: I actually went camping for the weekend. So I am uh, based in Los Angeles, and I drove north for a few hours and went to a place called Big Pine Creek. And the reason I went there was because there's this really cool trail. It's a 13 mile loop, and on the loop, you pass seven glacier lakes. So there's seven different lakes that you can pass as you're going through. Um, we weren't able to, I went with a, a good friend of mine. We weren't able to actually go to all the lakes because there was so much snow on the trail, which seems crazy, especially because in the campsite, it was like 90 degrees. It was so hot actually. Um, then, so it's just interesting when you're in, It's the middle of, you know, the summer and you're hiking and then you're going through snow. So
0: were the lakes like super cold?
1: Super cold. And I did do a polar plunge. Um, For (laughs) anybody who knows me knows, I'm like, I love kind of extreme types of things, especially when it comes to doing polar plunges. And um, yeah, I I just dove right in. And I have to say it was really, 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 really cold. Um, Actually, when I went in, there was actually like this little like baby iceberg. So you could see, and I, I thought, is that plastic or is that ice? And sure enough, it was ice, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How did it compare to cryotherapy? I think you've talked about that before. Is yes. It- so-, so-
1: I think that I have actually, because I've done cryotherapy. um, So basically, the idea is that we stress our body in calculated ways so that we can, you know, endure harsher, you know, temperatures and things like that. And I really think because I've done cryotherapy, it wasn't, I used to be so scared of cold water. I used to be such a baby when it came to, you know, even going in a pool if it wasn't warm enough. And now I'm like jumping in glacier lakes. So it just goes to show that like our body can, you know, adapt over time. And I really think that the cryotherapy helps me, helps me in my polar plunge.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, so that means you took uh, a little bit of a break from, from work or like, how does this summer work for you as a private speech therapist? Compared to, like uh, a school.
1: So, um, unfortunately, I don't have summers off like some of our awesome school-based clinicians. But um, it's not quite as heavy as you know the school year is. Typically, just because people are going away. So while I do see a lot of kids over the summer. My schedule's kind of up up in the air, and um, this summer actually, it's really nice. I'm really only seeing clients on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, so I kind of can have a long weekend every weekend if I want. Now I say that, but Mondays and Fridays, I'm usually stuck doing tons of paperwork. Um, You know, we're podcast recording. Um, I'm doing all types of um, you know intake types of things. I'm hiring some new clinicians for the, the new school year, and so there's a lot of work that I do on Mondays and Fridays that you know, doesn't involve seeing kids, but um, yeah, really, I could, if I wanted to, take a long weekend, which is what I did um, for 4th of July, I took off, and I didn't
0: miss any kiddos. So today, and the day that we, re- we are recording, is the first day in our neck of the woods for extended school year services. Mm-hmm. So today, I spent the day um, driving around to different school sites, making sure that uh, the students had the devices that they need, and that the teachers that they were working with um we're kind of up to speed on what those were like in some cases uh the same teacher who has worked with a student all year long is the same work person that's working over the summer and i just hey how's it going yep we're all good thanks chris thanks for checking in and in other cases it's a brand new teacher who has never seen a device before and we are starting from scratch you know uh luckily those those (laughs) it's becoming fewer and fewer throughout the, as each year goes on, more and more people have seen devices and have the idea, oh, yep, I have one of these. Even if it's not the same student, they've seen devices before. Yep, I work with this device or I work with this app. So I, I understand the, the foundational skills. I know that I'm supposed to be modeling, like those sorts of things are becoming less and less. So it was a, it was a good day today to hear all the, all the uh, how much less work I have to do on getting people up to the, the 101 status, you know?
1: Yeah, actually. So I went to a school, I do some consulting um, at a few schools in the area, and I went to one of them today and it was really exciting because uh, we have a brand new teacher at one of the schools and she is fantastic. She actually came from the East Coast. I think she came from Boston, um, but she's brand new. And it was so beautiful because I was kind of pushing into the classroom um, during one of her lessons, and was really kind of showing how to use the device. And it was just amazing to see how quickly she picked up on it. I would, you know, model, you know, some core words, and then the next go around, like she would be modeling those core words. Um, And so it's just, it's so cool to see And also demonstrates how important it is to show, not tell, right? I could have been telling her, I could have had, you know, a 15 minute conversation with her before her lesson, talking about all the things that she should do, um, you know, all the words that she could model But instead, I was there in real time and I was showing her. And she picked it up so beautifully. And so it was just, it was a really great start to my week seeing how wonderful she was at picking it up. And, um, you know, I just know that it's gonna be an amazing school year with her. And I'm just really inspired to, you know, keep collaborating and keep it showing because, you know, I already know she has a really strong baseline for where she she is um, as far as AAC. And it's only going to continue to grow, which is really exciting to to see.
0: That is so exciting, man, and it's so great that you, that you recognized that when you walked in there, that it was not a, uh, uh, let me pull you out and let's chat for a certain number of minutes, that you just got and dove right in there. I did too in one case. I was on the floor, on my back on a beanbag chair next to a kid, uh, holding a device up over my head in this case, uh, modeling, and uh, making sure this, she said she was a teacher cadet, so I don't even know really what that means, but a uh, volunteer maybe, I don't know, or it's her first year. I didn't inquire too I'd never heard that term before. There's always, you know, paraprofessionals, but whoever she was, she was there. She's like, I'm going to be in this classroom working this year. I was like, great, watch, watch how I do this. See, and now, okay, now it's your turn and gave her the device and let her go to town. And it's, um, like I said, it's so awesome for people who, um, who, who have not seen it before, it's an awesome strategy for them to realize that there's nothing to fear, right? Like the device can be scary, but when they see you doing it, they think, well, I can do that too.
1: And the other nice thing is I love modeling moments where I don't know where words are on the device because I feel like it gives permission to all of the people, all the adults in the room to be like, well, if the AAC person doesn't know, like, phew, I'm off the hook for not always knowing. Um, So anyway, that happened multiple times. I was, there was new students in the room um, and students that I worked with, but I just, you know, I see so many devices on any given week. Um, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to know where all the vocabulary is. And so it's a teaching opportunity, which we I've said multiple times on the podcast, but you know, it's just do a think aloud and be like, Hmm, I'm looking for open. I wonder if it's here. Um, oh, there it is open. We can open the jar. You know, it's just, it's so important to, to not put so much pressure on ourselves. Cause I feel like that's where, that's where clinicians and teachers and parents, you know, we have these really high expectations as if, you know, we need to know where every single word is on the device and it's just, it's not the reality. Um, and so I think as practitioners who are teaching AAC to communication partners, we can model that, right? We can model not knowing where all the words are um, and be being confident in that.
0: Yeah, and we can teach where the search button is, <laughs> right? And most, exactly. most, most of the uh, robust apps have some sort of search feature where you can find the vocabulary. You know, I think the other thing that was kind of... Um, Uh, embedded in what you were saying there, is that uh, if a a new teacher to the situation, uh, their, their, their first thought might be to explicitly teach the word open, which of course is fine, right? I mean, if you want to do a lesson around the word open, great, go for it, right? But what we're sort of showing is that the word open or put or go or the core vocabulary that we're modeling happens... Free-flowingly throughout the day, too. Which, for someone who is um, who is new to it, it might not really key into that. Like they they may not realize that they're using it. Uh, in, in every opportunity, uh, instead they might thinking about I'm only using it during this set sort of t- you know set parameter of time. Um, so just seeing you walk in and just be able to use it on the fly, or seeing me come in and do the same thing, f- uh, flop on the floor and just start using it without uh, uh, a pre-planned lesson that we were walking into. Uh, I think it shows kind of the, the power of the vocabulary, and then two how it can work throughout the day. Absolutely.
1: And I think that, you know, that's the beautiful thing about core words, right? Is that they are powerful and you can use them in so many different situations. And so really just being able to think, hmm, and then and, and I, I use that, that expression a lot. I go, Hmm, where's black? You know, I wonder where black is. They were, the lesson today was on summer things and there was a black flip-flop. And I was like, I don't know if flip-flop's on here, but like, I know we can talk about the color, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, it's just, it's interesting. And those moments are really great teaching opportunities for both the students and the communication partners.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So do you go into that for the rest of the summer? Will you be going into that same classroom? Will you have a chance to follow up with this teacher and see the improvements or or see if she's struggling along the way?
1: Yep. I will. It'll be nice. And actually I'll be, um, I have a contract with them in the fall too. So I'll be in the classroom helping them in, in the fall. Um, there's going to be the kind of the, the students are shuffling around cause it's, you know, ESY right now. Um, so we're going to, we have students that we've never had before and we have students that are only going to be here for ESY. Um, but yeah, I'll have the chance to kind of keep working on going with her and see how she grows.
0: Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I I'm meeting a lot of teachers that I have I am unfamiliar with. So, uh, meaning, in a school district as large as the one that I work in, where there's like ninety schools now, I think. Um, I know a number of people, and I know the teachers that I know, but over the summers is where I get to meet teachers that I don't get to work with during the regular school year. And so now, now is the time where I get to meet them over the summer, and then um, can follow up, if I don't follow up with them directly, one of the other people that do what I do can follow up with them.
1: One of my favorite compliments to give a non-SLP, so somebody who is either a teacher or an OT or a parent, or one of my favorite compliments to give is, oh my goodness, you could be a speech therapist. (laughs) And it's so simple, but it it really validates all of the hard work that someone does. And when you say like, you could have my job, You're doing such a great job that I, you know, I could mistake you for a speech therapist. Um, It's just things like that really go such a long way in cultivating a relationship with, you know, whoever it is that you're working with or teaching. And also just like, it levels the playing field, right? It's not just like, I'm the speech therapist and I tell you what to do. Um, It's like, you're doing such a great job facilitating language that you could be a speech therapist. Um, So I don't know why that popped into my head right now, but
0: it did. (laughs) Yeah that's an amazing little strategy. Just the words we use, they matter, right? And, and saying something like that it makes people who are maybe scared or uh, not as confident, it gives them that confidence that they need to, to come back the next day. You know?
1: Absolutely. So Chris, let's talk about what our episode's about today.
0: So we, lately, we've had a number of two-part episodes, and we've been going through a kind of our back catalog of of courses that we have over at ExceptionalEd.com, and th- this is the first of a two-part episode on the ABCs of AAC that you and I did together for the Exceptional Ed Network.
1: Yeah, and so it's an intro course. So it's really great for parents just getting started, new clinicians clinicians who maybe don't know a lot about AAC and just want to, you know, learn. And it's a two-part episode. So you're going to be listening to part one. After you've listened to part one and part two, you can go to bit.ly backslash tech CEU, and you can find that course. You can find all of the courses that we've aired so far. So if you're looking for CEU credits, this is a perfect way to get them.
0: So without further ado, here's part one of the ABCs of AAC. Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question, what is communication?
1: Welcome, I'm Ling Chan, and I am CEO of Exceptional Ed. If you need to earn a course certificate for this presentation, please be sure to take the quiz. We are here tonight with the ABCs of AAC, brought to you by Rachel Madel
0: and Chris Bougay. That's us. Rachel, that's us. Yes. That's us. <laughs> All right. That's you, Rachel.
1: That's me. Uh, so my name is Rachel Madel, and I'm a speech-language pathologist. Uh, I specialize in AAC, and I... Uh, co-host a amazing podcast with Chris Bouguet who's also here with us and hey, that's me that's him um, so I'm really excited to be here uh we can go Chris to the next slide and I can just talk about my all this fun business of my financial and non-financial disclosures so I am the owner of a private practice here in sunny Los Angeles um, So obviously I receive financials from my business. Um, I also have a blog, RachelMandel.com, where I sell online resources for parents of children with autism um, and also speech-language pathologists. Um, Lots of really great stuff on my website. I do receive financial contributions from that. Uh, We receive advertising revenue from Talking With Tech, our podcast, all about AAC. Um, And then I do receive um, income from ExceptionalEd.com for professional development courses. My non-financial disclosures include I am a member of ASHA, I am a member of CASHA, which is California State and Hearing Associations, um, also a member of SIG-12, and I have done some app consulting with EQTainment, which is a, um, with, with the app Moment AR, which is an augmented reality app for children with autism to teach them social skills. And that's me in a nutshell. And you can see my contact information to the right. So if you guys have any questions after, after this presentation, you can email me. Um, you can connect with me on social media. I love seeing people who have joined our webinar um, on the social media streams.
0: So Rachel, I was just sorry. I know we don't have a lot of time, but I got to tell a quick story here. I was just at uh, FETC and uh, there was the, the people that made Mominiar was there. The, the guy was there. He Oh, Kevin. Just- and I, and I met him. Yeah, Kevin. Exactly. Yeah. And, I, and so I'm talking to him. And I didn't realize he's been on our podcast, you know? Yeah. So, and when he, showed, he was showing me the app, because he just released it. Like, it just came out. And it's free right now. Um, I was like, this is, like, amazing. and I, I, I just did not put the dots together until you just said it right now. I'm like, wait a second. That's that app the guy was just showing. That is so funny. So <laughs> <Yeah. real. laughs> So, okay. Sorry about that little. So go check it out. It's free right now. And it's a great social skills app. I was really impressed. Um yeah. So my name is Chris Bouguet, and uh, yep, I do a bunch of stuff, too. I, um, I used to do a podcast called the AT Tips Cast. I also co-host Talking with Tech with Rachel. Uh, I am the author of a book uh, called The New Make Learning Awesome for All, which I just found out is the, uh, well, I, I knew it was published by ISTE, the International Society for Technology and Education, but I just found out when I was at these conferences that it is currently the second best-selling book in their in their library. So, uh, I was pretty pleased to hear that. Uh, and a couple of years ago, uh, I was able to co-author another book called The Practical and Fun Guide to Assistive Technology in Public Schools. So I've been working in the assistive technology space for over well, close to 20 years now. Uh, but my background is speech, right? Uh, and so I have all my disclosures listed at my website because uh, I've been doing stuff. Like I said, I'm an old guy, so got a lot of stuff to disclose. I'm going to let you click there and, and check it out on your own.
1: Okay, so guys, yeah, this is a foundational course for AAC. So we're just going to go through the ABCs and we're going to talk about different Uh, aspects of AAC that you want to keep in mind when you're practicing. Um, I know that there's some parents on here, um, so please let us know if you have any questions, but we're just going to try to get through this alphabet as fast as we can, um, and hopefully we we get through all of them. Um, Of course, A is for AAC, which stands for Augmentative and Alternative Communication. Um, A lot of people think of high-tech AAC, but H- AAC actually encompasses you know, low-tech and mid-tech, things like communication boards, uh, picture exchange. Um, so it's not just the high-tech devices, um, but that's a lot, a lot of times what we think about when we're thinking about AAC. Um, but it's lots of different things. Any, anything that kind of augments or any type of alternative communication for children who aren't able to speak verbally.
0: Okay. All right. So B is for believe they will. So I'm, I'm guessing that most of you, and please put this in the chat. Uh, are, are speech therapists that, or um, or soon to be speech therapists, your pre-service teachers. Where are you right now? Are you working in schools? Uh, are you um, interning there? What's what's your status? Please put that in the in the chat. We'd like to know uh, who our audience is. But knowing that this is the SLP to B conference, we assume that many of you are are are, are going to be speech therapists, uh, are, are practicing to become them. Um, so one of the things you'll find that when you're working out in the schools or working out in, uh, in really any institution is that people undersell uh, people with disabilities. They, 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 they might think, ah, oh, they could never do that. They could never be able to say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. And, and that is going to be your, and maybe right now, to be honest, maybe you're one of those people that thinks, oh, I didn't realize that you should be having these expectations that anybody could say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it, if we just gave them the tools. The right tools, enough time and the right instruction, they could get there, right? And someday we'll get there. And so that's really our charge. Believe that, that people with disabilities can do whatever they want to do, just like anyone else, right? Start with that mentality. You'll, you'll walk out with that, with that mindset. Uh, start with that mindset, lead with that mindset, and you will never go wrong.
1: I'm seeing a lot of people. So there's some some people who work with adults, which is really exciting. So Chris and I have a lot of experience with children, um, but a lot of these principles they apply, you know, across the lifespan. So um, I'm really excited to see all the different uh, the different kinds of practices that we we have going on. Lots of elementary schools and middle schools, and um, you know, re- rehab centers. Um, it's really cool. So thank you guys for sharing. Uh, C is for core words. So core words are the most frequently used words. They make up 80% of what we say. Um, so what you or I say, 80% of that is core words. Um, so when we're thinking about vocabulary intervention um, and which words we're targeting, and uh, we need to be really careful and strategic about the words that we're choosing. Um, so core words, I have a lot of examples on the slide, Um, they include various parts of speech. So a lot of times they're often general and they can be used in a lot of different situations. Words like more and go and open, um, you, on, all of these are core words. Um, And there's like a a counterpart to the core words, but you're going to have to wait until we get further down the alphabet.
0: So Rachel, these are good words to target instruction. They are good words to, maybe words isn't the right, isn't a core word. That's one one fringe. (laughs) Gotcha, gotcha. All right, cool. Uh, so so often what happens is when someone gets a communication device, our first inclination is to, is to make them use it, right? Well, we just spent money on this thing, so you're going to use it, kid, or you're going to use it, person. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is it's often foreign to them and foreign to the communication partners. So the, one of the very first steps when you introduce a communication device is this concept of descriptive teaching which is you're going to sit next to the person or stand next to the person whatever you're going to be with that person and you're going to describe what you're doing on the device like if you go and sit next to them you might say i sit if um you're you're having lunch or coffee together and you take a bite of your sandwich you might say i like it you know? um if uh they they put it out and uh it's just too much for you to eat you might say this is big you're just describing what's happening in the environment and narrating uh really just talking through what's happening you're describing what's happening and that is a great first strategy there is no expectation that the student or that the client would actually interface with the device at first it's just too foreign you start using it yourself
1: and the other thing that's important to remember with that is that you know, we can start with single word modeling or one to two words. We don't have to, you know, model every single word that we say. We can, you know, if we're saying this is big, we can say this is big and we can just model big on the device. Um, so you really have to figure out where the student's communication level is at um, and then kind of build off of that. So just, that's the, one of the number one questions I get asked is like, how am I supposed to model all the words? You're not, um, you know, just be strategic about the words that you are modeling. Um, and sometimes it means you're just modeling one or two words. Okay, E is for expectant pause. So I want to actually pose a question to our group and I want you to tell me what is a good amount of wait time. When you're waiting for a child, say you pose a question or um, you create an opportunity, what do you think is a good amount of time to wait? So just answer in the the chat uh, what you think is a good time. Count to 10, 45 seconds, 10 to 20 seconds. I love it, 15 seconds, eight to 10. Yes, I would say at least 10. Um, And when you count to 10, it feels like an eternity. It really does. Um, And and this is something that I constantly am reminding myself of too. But what's important to remember is that we need to give our users, especially AAC users, enough time to formulate what they wanna say and find all the words that they wanna use. Um, And sometimes that takes a lot of time. Um, I'm really interested in figuring out what is a child able to say when we set up a really motivating co- opportunity. You know, we need to give a, a pause to see you know what they have to say. If we're constantly prompting and we're constantly modeling and we're never giving pauses, we don't get to hear what the child has to say. We you know we might see what a child can imitate because they're watching our modeling and they're imitating it. But if we're never pausing, we don't have the opportunity to see you know what's going on in there. So it's really important to to wait. Um, I love all of the comments. Thirty seconds. I mean, sometimes it depends on the individual. Really, it does. Um, so I would say, err on the side of waiting. <laughs> kind of like Chris is doing right now.
0: <laughs> one one quick strategy there. Cheryl kind of puts it nicely. She says, "One minute, but it feels like forever, and it can, it can." So a strategy to help yourself do that is to maybe tap your foot. Or tap your pen, or just tap your finger. Do something and count out those ten seconds, fifteen seconds. You know, and that will that will give you something to do while you're just sitting there in silence. You know, uh, it helps make the time go by, and it makes you uh, be conscious about how much time you're waiting.
1: F is for fringe. So we just talked about core words, uh, core word counterpart, fringe words, uh, mostly nouns, very specific. So. I put on this slide all of my, the kids that I work with, all of their favorite things. Um, And some of them are obscure, like pipe cleaners, um, cheese puffs, who doesn't love cheese puffs? Um, I can eat an entire bag without blinking. Um, But it's really important. So fringe words make up 20% of what we say. So a lot of times there's kind of this like, You know, we're we're in a time where everyone's talking about core words, which is awesome. But it's also really important to remember they're fringe words. Um, They are really important. And a lot of times they're a really good place to start for children who are just learning AAC because they're very concrete. Um, You know, if a child loves their toy train and they see a picture of their train on their device or an icon for a train, it's very easy to get them motivated to, you know, hit that button and find that button. Um, So fringe is is really important, especially in the beginning stages, Uh, but we don't wanna get stuck in fringe. So we wanna make sure there's a balance of core and fringe.
0: Usually at a ratio of 80-20, right? Uh, 80% is core words, 20% fringe, so you can't get there without those fringe words. Totally, totally agree. So, G is for guide. And really, so here's the idea, is that if many of you are already speech therapists or you're going to be, what you find is that you're only with the, the, the student or the client so many minutes per week. You know, if it's 60, even if it's 120 minutes per week, it's not as much as the other communication partners that are going to be with the with the client or student so the idea here is that your job although to work directly with the student uh, is important what you really need to do is coach all the other communication partners you need to guide them and so how do you guide how do you how do you coach that's not necessarily something you learn at the in your in your college you learn how to be a good speech therapist not really how to coach someone else on how to do speech therapy um, and so you, this is going to be half, part of your own professional learning. Is find out how to be a coach. And one really simple, a simple thing to remember is to ask more questions than give commands. So you just keep asking people. Well, why did you do it that way? And, and why do you think that might work? And and what if you thought? What if we? What if we tried something different? What? What was? What would be something we'd try? If you op- You lead with these open-ended questions. That's how you can coach people to come to solutions on their own. So, think of yourself as a guide more than a direct service provider. That's really what your clients and students need. The next thing here is the prompt hierarchy, or H is for hierarchy for prompts. And the idea here is that we've already talked about modeling um, and the idea that uh, the descriptive teaching, right, but when you're sitting with somebody, how, when do you jump in and, and, and grab their hand or, and ask them to do it? Or when do you say, uh, your turn? Or when do you, um, uh, when do you, when do you uh, give a gestural cue, like pointing at the device? Like how does that all work? Well, there's a hierarchy for how you do that. And we already talked about that expect and pause. That's where you start. But if someone's not responsive just to giving that wait time, well, then the next thing up is to maybe give a hand motion towards the device. like, mm-hmm. uh, And then if they don't do that, the next level up is to say, now what? And the next level up after that is to say, your turn, or you're inviting them to do it. Uh, and then you might point to the actual button on the, on the device. You might say, this, 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 point right here, you know. And then uh, you might start to do the, the, the device itself. You might actually start to type out some of the words. So there's and then the next time you're, you keep following this uh, prompt of hierarchy, this prompt hierarchy to, uh, to see at what level, the student or client might engage with the device on their own. And this in itself could be part of your data collection or your evidence collection. As you could see, well, you know what? The student in three to five months time has moved from needing uh, gestural cues, I kept having to provide gestural cues before they do it, to now I just have to provide the, the hand motion and that shows progress within the, because sometimes the progress can be very, very slow. So check out this prompt hierarchy.
1: is for input from communication partners. So I think a lot of times when we introduce devices, uh, we've had this, I I think a lot of people have this hesitation, like, I don't know if I should touch it or what I should do. Uh, It's really important that everybody who is interacting with the child has an opportunity to use the device. Um, don't be afraid to touch the to touch the icons and to activate the device. And the more people we can incorporate into this, the more modeling that happens. The more comfortable um, you know caregivers get with actually using the device and modeling on it. Um, so you know, incorporate everybody. Uh, this includes you know parents obviously and teachers, but all of the you know behavior support staff. Um, you know all the aides in the classroom, uh, peers, especially peers and siblings, there's no greater communication partner for a child than a peer or a sibling. Um, so I'd really encourage you guys to think outside of the box of the typical, you know, teacher and parent and things like that. Um, you know, if, if, if you're going to the library, get the librarian to model on the device. I mean, you the, the possibilities are literally endless, um, you know, and, and the more that we support, you know, all of the communication partners and potential communication partners, the bigger the pool of communication partners there are for the child. Um, and so we don't want to limit them to, you know, just being able to talk to mom and dad and teacher, right? We want to we increase the, the the pool of communication partners.
0: I, I just want to jump in, Rachel, and say that the, um, there are links in some of these slides. So feel free to click on those links. They take you to other resources. We're not going to go over them all right now. Um, but you should feel free to to enjoy those. If you see a hyperlink, feel free to click on it uh, in your own on your own.
1: Jay is for joy. Look how happy my bitmoji is here. <laughs> um, so if it's not fun, don't do it. That should be your motto, not just for AAC users, all of the you know, students or adults that you work with. Um, I feel like we, we take the fun out of communication sometimes and there's no quicker way to have a child, especially you know, abandon their device than to make it work. Um, You know, it already is hard enough going through all these folders and, you know, formulating their thoughts and learning all the motor plans for where all these icons are. Um, So we need to make sure all of the activities that we're engaging a student in are really fun. Um, If we start telling them what to do or creating all these demands that they don't wanna participate in, um, oftentimes it can lead a child to think like, whoa, I don't wanna use this device, it's not fun. You know, an AAC device should be this magical box that gets a child all of the things that they want and, you know, allows them to communicate with all of the people and to laugh and make jokes. Um, so it's just really important that should be the foundation of any type of treatment um, approach or implementation strategies it has to be fun. And it's more fun for you if it's fun for them.
0: Exactly. Rachel, I want to just throw an extra thought here here too, is that so often people forget that we as adults choose to be in schools. We get to choose where we want to work, right? Uh, students don't, they don't get that choice. They have to go where people tell them to go. And so it's just like Rachel said to emphasize that, it, so it's our obligation as the, as the responsible adults to, to make it fun and engaging and empowering for them. So the next one here is a word not many of you are probably familiar with. This is called key vocabulary, which the K is for key. And the idea here is that you've heard of core vocabulary. We've also gone over fringe vocabulary. These are the two giant uh, monsters that we hear about in vocabulary, but there's actually a third. And that's this idea that some, sometimes it's called personal core. Uh, the idea being that there are sometimes there are words that we use frequently that are personal to us. For instance, for instance, my dog's name is Hurricane, right? And so if I had he suddenly needed a communication device, I would need the word hurricane much more prevalently than, say, Rachel, who lives in Los Angeles and doesn't have a dog named Hurricane, because I want to call my dog, and I want to play with my dog, and so I'd want to say, not just call him dog, I want to call him Hurricane. So that's a key vocabulary word to my life, right? Uh, So there's something personal to me, but then there's also two other aspects of the key vocabulary, is that? Certain times of year, you would see certain words spike on frequency charts. If we were charting all the words that were being said in a given, at a given time, like you can imagine around the holiday time, the word snow or reindeer or Santa might spike on the charts, in which case this, again, is more of a seasonal time, but it's in the middle of July. We don't talk about Santa and reindeer that much, you know? Um, and then the, the third part there is that they're regional. There are certain parts that, uh, of the country that, that call things pop and other people call it soda. And other places that, again, maybe if you're in Florida, hurricane is a word that you might need more frequently than if you were in, uh, say, Colorado, or if you were in Oklahoma, where tornado might be of a, a more frequent word. Uh, so regional parts are, are also ha- have, a, have a say in, or you should be thinking about this key vocabulary when you're designing or thinking about the words that you might be teaching and the words that someone might be using. And we have a podcast episode. You'll note these little boxes down here. Occasionally, there's links to episodes from the Talking with Tech podcast, which is free. You can go back and listen to that explain these even in more detail. Aha, okay, oh, this is a big one, Rachel. So, uh, so often when you go to college, you learn about communication. And there's lots of ways to communicate. And heck, we started, the very first one was AAC. We said it was all about communication. So if you were to look at a, a stop sign, that's communicating, communicating uh, something to you. Um, if uh, I was to nod, I'm communicating something to you. Those are all forms of communication. But that's not really the goal of what, we, what Rachel and I have been talking about or, uh, or what the goal of AAC use is the goal is language. And language is, is, is more than just communicating. Meaning, I, could put, um, I could put three picture symbols on, on a, in front of a student. And, and, and the picture symbols say, I want goldfish. And I could teach that kid, I want goldfish. And that kid could learn, I want goldfish. And he would get his goldfish every time he requests it. And if that's all he ever learned, did I teach him? I taught him how to communicate. He's communicating. But I never taught him language. I never taught him what, a, what, a, what all the other meanings for goldfish, or just the word fish, how it's a verb and a noun, um, all the other things that he could want, right? So there's all these different parts of words, how the words go together, how they combine to make sentences. That, that is the power that we're getting at. That's the ultimate goal, is to create language. Oh my gosh, I have three in a row, Rachel. So uh, another big one is motor planning. Motor access and motor memory. So, when you're considering how a student is going to access their AAC device, it might be through direct select with their finger. It might be through direct select with their eyes, eye gaze, or head pointers. But whatever might be switch scanning, hitting switches, you have to be thinking about how they are going to access their communication device. And when you're thinking about that access method, um, you should be then thinking about trying to keep things in the same spot, because if you keep things in the same spot, you, you minimize how much motor planning has to go through, has to, has to be learned, and then eventually it kicks into motor memory, meaning the most, the most efficient and uh, proficient users of AAC can use their device without even looking at the overlay, if you can, if you can imagine that. They can type on them and, and say anything they want to say, Without even looking at it, just like you and I, just like anyone else might use a keyboard, um, and you don't have to look at a keyboard necessarily, you can just because you've built the motor plans over time. But the only reason a keyboard works is because we don't move them around. The H is always there in the middle. the Q is always there in the top left and, and, I, and that's how we can build the motor plans. If you move them around, man, you screw up the motor planning and screw up my motor memory. We could relearn it. But why would we want to relearn it if we could keep everything the same? So when you're thinking, it will come up many, many times in your, in your professional career. Should we switch this communication device? Should we move uh, the buttons around? Should we make them larger? Be, be, be cognizant that if you move things around, you are screwing up the motor plan for people. It has to stay in as, as close to possible to the same location as, as possible.
1: And this is really re- relevant when you're thinking about, when you're doing you know, an assessment and you're trying to figure out you know, what size buttons. I feel like a lot of times we start with you know, emergent communicators and maybe they're young and they don't have really good fine motor access. Um, so I always try to get the smallest icon um, possible because I know that if we start with you know, six big buttons, because that's where the, the X, that's where the fine motor is when we start. Think about what's gonna happen when we, we need more words, right? Like we don't wanna give a child just six words. Um, and so we really need to think about long-term. Long-term, we need to take into consider the motor planning. Um, so it's just really important to, to take to take consideration of that when you're thinking through, you know, as Chris mentioned, um, you know, also if you're going to change a device. Um, so the goal is to not have to change it, right? Um, not always possible, but we need to be thinking through that lens. Okay, so before we keep going, just make sure when you guys are chatting that you you click the drop down menu, all panelists and attendees. Um, I guess some people maybe have been chatting, but we haven't seen it because you haven't clicked. To all panelists and attendees um, okay and no prerequisites i'm so excited this is like you know a group of maybe you know young slp to bs um so we can start reiterating this right now there are no prerequisites for aac um you know children learn how to use a device by actually giving be, being given the opportunity to use a device um you know so often i feel like we're we're trying to test to see if you know, AAC would work or if a high tech device would work, um, you know, and I oftentimes get clinicians and teachers saying, I'm not sure if they're ready. And I'm like, ready for what? you know, ready to have access to communication and to learn language, um, you know, there's no prerequisites. And so it's just really important that we bust that myth right now. Um, you know, there's you don't need to get to a certain level of PECs before you can get a high-tech device. Um, you, don't, you don't need to have a certain level of cognition uh, or cognitive functioning. Um, you would be amazed at the children that I've worked with who parents have come to me and said, school says they're not ready. And I say, well, there's no such thing as not ready. Um, I get them started on a device and they're doing amazing things. And everyone's, everyone's shocked. Um, it just goes back to be, believe they will. Um, so those two, those two are like very closely intertwined, but it's just really important that we're not limiting children based on some prerequisite or this notion of a prerequisite because it's just doesn't, it's not the case. I just read, if you're alive, you can use AAC. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so, oh, operational skills. So this is something that we often don't think about when we're thinking about AAC because most of us are speech-language pathologists, so we love teaching language, and we're all excited about getting kids to use their device and learning new words and all these things. But it's really important that we teach children the operational skills that it takes to use a device Um, it's a whole other area of aac that you don't always think about so things like charging the device um, adjusting the volume Um, all these things i'm trying to incorporate a child so if their if their ipad is about to die i say Oh, no, it looks like your iPad's dying. We need to go plug it in. And I take them with their little cord, and we plug it in, and I show them what that's like Um, because we need to be teaching how to use and take care of a device so that eventually these children will be able to be self-sufficient and use the device on their own and charge it when it needs to be charged, adjust the volume when people can't hear it. Another thing is adding new vocabulary. So a lot of the older AAC users that I work with, if there's not a word on the device, I'm like, well, let's add it. You know, and I walk them through that process. Um, So it's just really important that we're teaching kind of these operational skills so that we empower students to be able to use their device completely independent of support. Oh, now I'm three in a row, Chris. (laughs) Okay, P, pragmatic functions. We have to get kids beyond just requesting. We use language for so many different reasons um you know yes we do ask for the things that we need and that's oftentimes where we start with aac you know and kids who are emerging in communication they want something we hold it we get them to ask for it but communication is so much bigger than that and so we need to start thinking how can i start incorporating other pragmatic functions into the mix. Um, You know, being able to comment and say, I like that, or I don't like that. Um, You know, protesting is really a big one. You know, after you start working on requesting, protesting goes along with requesting. Um, So being able to say no, or stop, or I don't like that. Um, being able to ask for help, um, those self-advocacy skills, complaining. I mean, think about how often we complain about the traffic that we set and all these things, you know, that happen in our lives. And oftentimes AAC users are, you know, they're they're being told what to do all day long. You know, they don't have the control to say, like, I don't want to do that. Um, And they don't have the language. So we need to give kids that language, um, uh, to say when they don't want to do something to complain, if they don't like something doesn't mean they, to, they get out of it necessarily. Right. Uh, but at least let's give them the language because a lot of times when they don't have the language, then you start seeing, you know, maladaptive behaviors and all these things is because we haven't given them the language to communicate to us. Um, so it's just really important to think outside the box. I have lit over here because, um, one of our podcast episodes, Karen Owens, she is fantastic. She's a mom of, uh, I think five children with complex or four children with complex communication needs. Um, and she, she, all of her, her kids are non-ambulatory and they use POD, uh, which is a, you know, a special kind of AAC setup. But she talks about how she wants to give her children age-appropriate language. And her son is constantly saying that's lit, uh, which is so funny. And it's so true, though, The closer that we can get kids to you know, slang and all these things that other students are saying in the hallway, if we can get the student, you know, saying something really awesome, like that's lit in the hallway, think about the peer acceptance that they receive. Um, You know, other students who aren't AAC users would laugh and think that's hilarious. Um, So it's just really important that we're giving kids the language um, beyond just requesting.
0: Thank you for listening to this first part of a two-part episode. We'll talk to you next week. You're listening to The Exceptional Podcast Network.